0: The Stethoscope Broadcast is brought to you by Blueprint Health, based out of The Farm in Soho, the co-working space for digital healthcare startups in New York City, and distributed to listeners around the world through pipa.io. Please feel free to drop by The Farm Community if you're in Manhattan. I'm your moderator, Aaron Winfield, from Socratic, a behavioral technology company, and today's conversation dives into the deep future of pharmacy and the emerging trends that are arising in the industry. happens when you explore the white space between health, technology, and science, diving into the deep future of health and the trends that arise with them. This is Houston, say
1: again, please. Oh, here, come here. Okay, uh,
2: right now, uh, Houston, you're looking good, uh, a pretty
0: it up. This is Stethoscope. Listening to the future of health. So, for the next eight minutes, I want us to kind of deconstruct the the, the pharmacy industry and talk about some of the most influential changes as it might pertain to your particular company, Flaview. Um, what are some of the recent trends that have developed?
3: Um, so, there's a number of trends. There's a few we strongly believe in. Uh, one being genetic testing. Genetic testing has come down in price to the point where pharmacies can offer genetic tests to their patients. Insurance won't pay for it, despite um, these tests proving they can save a lot of money in some cases, a lot of waste, certain medications, for example, like Plavix, uh, based on a certain gene, it doesn't do anything for half the people that take it. Right. So if you're in the half of the people that spend hundreds of dollars a month on Plavix, you may want to invest in a $200 genetic test to know whether you should take that or not. And your insurance probably also wants you to invest or invest in that, so they don't spend the money on the drug. But despite such uh, examples in, in those sort of uh, benefits, insurance will struggle. Nevertheless, patients pay themselves cash for those tests in a lot of markets, so then many pharmacies offer or rather, partner with labs that that they uh, that that teach them how to interpret a genetic test to the patient. Uh, that ship it over to the lab. Lab gets it back, and they interpret the results for the patient. And uh, we think that's really interesting because it's data that nobody has right now. And uh, one of our core beliefs again is that a pharmacy is going to start replacing more and more the primary care physician, which may be uh, controversial uh, if you're a primary care physician, but, uh, you know, as a doctor, you often see a little sliver of a patient, right, if you're a cardiologist or a dermatologist, you see them for that specific thing, and you prescribe a certain set of medications. If you're a pharmacy, you see the whole picture of a patient, you see them picking up all their drugs, from cholesterol to, to Plavix, their diabetes meds, so you see a holistic picture, and so by uniting that holistic picture of the data uh, which you have, which uh, is in their system, every pharmacy system, with uh, genetic data, uh, we believe that is a huge opportunity to identify um, uh, solutions and uh, treatment and you know prevent, prevent certain um, developments before they happen. So that's, that's really exciting to us. Uh, again, it comes back to that data, having that data that other people don't. Um, and to take it a step further, <laughs> what I want to mix is uh, the, the personal data, right? Every, everybody's father or grandfather has a Fitbit on right now, or if they don't, they will have one after Christmas. Uh, so that data also is kind of sitting there worthless, right? People look at their steps and whatnot, but it doesn't currently have a lot of application. It doesn't integrate with anything, right? But uh, who would benefit from that? Let's well, say you're a pharmacist um, in the future, and you're wearing some sort of smart glasses that when the patient comes in, you see already on, on, your, on your retina some of the context of that patient, not just their genetic profile, current drugs, historical you know, relevant information, but also how they've been you know, walking their activity, their, their blood pressure over the last few weeks. So then rather than having to ask them, like, hey, what's going on, you can already see they're, they're probably suffering from some depression because they're, they're taking you know, 100 steps a day for the past week. So you already know to start talking about those things rather than asking them like, "Hey, have you been uh, have you been feeling depressed?" Like, "No, oh, I'm fine." <laughs> so, anyway, I see opportunity at the intersection of that you know genetic data, phenotype data, and and the drug you know typical healthcare data uh, to 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 combine it to come up with smarter things.
0: Thank you. So, Todd, for you, uh, what are some of the Recent developing trends in your mind, and then to parlay off of Flavio's idea of taking it five to 10 years into the future, what does that look like?
4: I do think that um, I talked about it earlier, uh, there's this opportunity to get the pharmacist you know, using technology to be um, more effective. The pharmacist touches the patient uh, far more frequently than a doctor uh, than the doctor touches that patient. Um, the ph- pharmacist touched patient's you know, visit with patients. Billions of times a year versus hundreds of millions for physicians. So you know there is an opportunity uh, to, to get the pharmacists much more involved in clinical care. 19 states in Canada, in 19 states and Canada, uh, in 19 states and Canada, the pharmacists can prescribe drugs. Um, but you know if you don't have a patient database and workflow software and analytics that enable you to Act on, you know, to leverage or take advantage of, of those interactions. It's, it's a real problem. And the current systems that are in place, these pharmacy management systems, they really are green screen type old technology. Uh, they are more of an ERP system. They're more for processing uh, prescriptions and billing and the financials. They're not a patient database. So, what I think is, is, has happened, is going to happen, is that a, a separate patient database is going to be created, a much richer one. Great idea. With the uh, with the genomics. By, oh, by you. Okay, you're very interested in doing that. Okay, so uh, you know the patient database is is a, is, a, is a very good idea, um, and so you know we're seeing that um, there are so many programs that pharma and payers have for uh, making interventions with the patient. The pharmacist is very well suited to uh, act on those uh, programs and 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 earn extra income and improve the the health of the patient. And so you know, there's an opportunity for companies to organize these pharmacies into networks, get the pharmacies engaging with the patients, and then bring opportunities from pharma patients and risk-bearing providers and get them to uh, you know, make timely interventions. Uh, you know, it could be something as important as Plavix. It could be something as mundane as getting the right level of vitamin D uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the blood serum. Um, you know, if you have the genetic information, you can do that. We're looking at some pretty interesting business in that sector, by the way, Flavia. We should maybe talk because uh, uh you know, the, 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 <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> the three of us? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the, there are so many studies out of, you know, the, this SNP, you know, correlates with this phenotypical trait, but a lot of them are too simplistic. If you can get good science behind which collection of SNPs You know, correlate with a particular phenotypical trait. I mean, you could advise the patient on uh, on all the -the over-the-counter supplements uh, that they could be optimally taking. I mean, if you if one person uh, needs far less vitamin D than this other person, I mean, they should be taking different amounts in a different a different you know multivitamin. Um, So you know, that kind of stuff is pretty interesting, and people are pretty passionate about their supplements. Whether they should be or not is another question. Um, So uh, you know. That's what we see. We see better. We see networks of pharmacists. We see increasingly engaged patients. Uh, that, that I think that the, the patients gonna react if they're getting their dr- if they're getting a great mobile experience where they're reminded to take their drugs, reminded to do their, their refills. They're getting they conveniently getting their, their prescriptions um, filled uh, and delivered. And um, and there's just new services, new opportunities that pharmacists want to touch them. Payers want to touch them. I mean, it's a good area.
0: That's fascinating. How is that governed? Is it HIPAA compliance? How does this patient database become more of a a reality? What types of considerations need to be put around it so that people feel like their information is secure?
4: Um, I think I don't think it's any different than any other digital health business. I mean, you have to get your act together. You've got to get, you know... Uh, you got to get very familiar with the alphabet soup of you know high trust and HIPAA and HL7 and you know doing all the things that one does routinely BAA agreements you know in the um, in the uh, you know, provider space, um, but the vendors can figure that out. That's not that's not any magic. You know moving the data around to providers, moving the data around to payers. Um, you know getting buy-in some opt-in programs from pharma. Um, all of those are, are are good opportunities. Um, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of pharmacists. You know, that's a lot of that's a lot of clinicians. They're underutilized. Um, you know, CVS I think has 800 Minute Clinics. I want to say um, that's not that many. With 44,000 independent pharmacies, um, that's an army. It's an army to improve health and uh, and make a difference. And I think you know, working with the providers is such a bitch. You know. They're just – the culture of providers is so challenging. Pharmacists, they're like little businesses. They could be any XYZ little business, you know, that uh, a software vendor sells to. Um, you know, they – they the, the product has to be good. It has to be very competitively priced. It has to be something that they can turn on or turn off if it's not working. But if it delivers results, they will use it. Um, you know, I appreciate that. You know, Calling up a hospital, trying to get them to react is very, very difficult. And then the, the sales cycle, selling to health plans and selling to, to big pharma, that's not easy either. So I mean, it's just sort of a little niche that – now, some, the criticism might be that it's too small of a niche. And so you've got to battle back, and you've got to find a way to get your foot in the door, get some recurring revenue, and then layer on services. It's not – you can't make a big enterprise sale easily.
3: I just want to say we have a customer that's the Drugs, Guns, and Liquor store. That's kind of their name. Uh, So just to give you an idea of what these – you don't see them around New York.
4: Tell me me that. You're saying that it's a pharmacy that also sells guns and drugs and and alcohol?
3: Right. That's right. All in one store. Uh, It's hard to believe, but –
4: Are you serious?
3: No, yeah. He's a customer. So Uh, in
4: the front of the house, they sell um, alcohol and guns.
3: I haven't visited, but I assume they have them somehow segmented, so it's not like on the shelf next to. It. Um, but yeah, I also want to say the FDA. So uh, the uh, some of the stuff you get excited about, and they're like, let's get it on a patient's phone. Let's do this, and, and then like, like twenty three andmeer you know, struggled with giving this sort of advice uh, to directly to patients because uh, you're not you're not you're not supposed to uh, tell a patient. Yeah, you Big might trouble, have, big trouble there. There's yeah. 50% of chance you might have cancer. Like you don't want to be in that position in FDA no. alone, probably for the, for the foreseeable future. Let a software company do that uh, until the science is really perfect, which with this data, it's, it's hardly ever 100%. But for wellness, it's
4: a much lower bar. For
3: wellness, is a much lower bar, and for pharmacists, there's basically no bar, right? Because you can you can tell these folks uh, as uh, software advises the the provider, and then the provider has to make a um, judgmental you know decision based on the data on what they're going to recommend. So, I mean, there there is a bar, but it's certainly much lower than direct to the patient. So. Okay, you're
4: saying that the the, the pharmacist degree their their licensing and allows them to dispense advice.
3: Absolutely, yeah.
4: And so if they so you wouldn't have the pharmacist turn over this genetic analysis to the patient without advice from the pharmacist?
3: Right, right, exactly. Okay.
4: That's interesting.
3: There, I mean, I guess our belief, as much as we love software and automating everything, we strongly believe there will always be a human factor in it. It won't be 100% technology. So when that patient walks in, which actually I'm going tomorrow to visit some pharmacies, that interaction is key. The the trust, the relationship between the provider and the patient is so key that no matter how much software and data, uh, intelligence, (laughs) machine learning we have, uh, it's not going to replace that human interaction.
0: Which makes sense, but it it sounds like the takeaway is a good... um, I don't know much about the adoption for pharmacists, right, in terms of Software, or even getting their patients to opt in to certain programs, but it seems like that might be a better catalyst than the actual uh, than the actual physician to to get people to get on the more proactive side
4: of their health. eighty percent, eighty percent of pharmacists um, deliver uh, vaccinations and, and flu shots. Eighty uh, percent of pharmacists uh, have uh, medication therapy management offerings. Um, so, you know, and and many of them have med sync. Increasingly, they're offering, uh, you know, the pill pack type of, uh, of offering. Many of them are serving long term care. Uh, many of them are seeking the opportunity to get into specialty. Um, that's a big opportunity, uh, especially hospital based. You know, there's just different corners uh, of the pharmacy world that are 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 taking off. Interesting.
0: Okay, so we're going to push ahead to delivery. Let's play around with a couple of entertaining questions here. So let's pretend that drones are considered for healthcare and prescription drug delivery in the United States next year. What does that look like? Could it be helpful at all? What are the considerations that should be thought about there?
3: I don't think it would be helpful at all. I mean, there's all these startups around New York doing uh, almost drone delivery, right? There's a couple of uh, popular startups doing delivery. Um,
4: what, what, what are the names? Uh, putting Capsule. Spot. Yeah, Capsule
3: and another one. Yeah,
4: uh, there's another one. I forget, I forget the name their wrong. name.
3: But uh, New York is is a unique place where you can make a billion-dollar company delivering drugs. But most... Other places in the world um, are not uh, and most importantly, the people taking most of the drugs are not you and me. They are 65 plus people with several disease states with low income with real problems that don't need a drug the problem isn't delivery mail mail order has existed for, for, for you know uh, decades and yet there's still still 60,000 pharmacies around the country like why are they there? why doesn't everybody just get uh, delivered medications and in some cases it's great right if you're taking birth control then yeah you want to deliver you don't want the hassle of seeing a pharmacist but if you're taking 20 drugs which is where the 80% of the cost of healthcare are um, you want to see somebody you have questions you've got problems a drone is not going to help you the
4: drone, the drone idea um, I'm, I'm trying to work with it I'd like to be positive on it um, I'm struggling, I'm struggling with how that will make, I think, I think probably makes the best argument that, you know, it's, it, you know, m- mail order has been around forever, that has not unlocked the potential of this industry, um, would that, would, would, it, would an ordering network that's that much faster make a difference, I mean, we are very much attuned, um, you know, like the genetic test, you know, you're talking about, that takes, it could take four, six weeks to turn around, I mean, we are used to Prime now, Amazon, I want it today, so I mean, maybe you would be a little bit uh, more likely to take your meds and refill your meds because, um, you know, uh, especially young, busy professionals, they're just too damn busy to uh, get their their meds refilled. You know, so if, if you could just hit a button on an app and have it flown to you without the constraints of yeah, getting the right delivery and so forth. I mean, I could see that unlocking uh, better, you know, uh, adherence. I think that's a possibility. I'm trying to work with you here um, with this idea. Um, uh, Did you have something behind the question that – So I I
0: think it's just how does delivery evolve over time, right? If you're thinking about 3D printing or some weird abstract concept, but I loved how you brought it back. Mail order still has a lot of improvements that that can be – but
4: I do I know I do like the idea that it's an international opportunity. There are hundreds of thousands of pharmacies. I think there's three hundred thousand pharmacies XUS. Um, that's a big market, and you know they're not terribly different than the U.S. market, which is which is unlike most of healthcare. I mean, our system here is very different. Obviously, it makes it hard for a digital health company to you know, go around the world. Um, uh, MediData, the, the software that I mentioned earlier that facilitates collecting of data in clinical trials, they, they went to Japan very early in their life, and that was a huge boon for them. Um, I think that uh, you know, this sector, there, there are real international opportunities. Um, and maybe the drones fit in better there because the infrastructure's you know, not good uh, or, de- or evolved enough to permit you know conventional delivery, so maybe drones can make a big difference internationally.
0: So we we got on a roll about um, the bigger data and I guess personalized information for things. So there's another let's pretend question here. Uh, Let's pretend that tomorrow there's this cool new watch that you can buy uh, that measures biochemical feedback and hormonal release in an individual. How might that impact the pharmacy industry, how pharmacists actually, adherence for instance, those different types of things.
4: Uh, what I would say to that is that, um, we have been looking at some software companies that help, uh, predict the right dose that the patient should get. There, there is wide variability in how much of a drug one patient should get versus another patient. And, you know, the way your kidneys function, the way your liver functions, um, your, your, your weight. But today, basically all dosage is done, milligrams per kilogram. And so, if you did have a better read and a constantly optimized, you know, feedback loop, you know, you could get much better prediction of how of of, of how much drug of the drug to prescribe uh, and dose um, in order to get into the narrow therapeutic window. In other words drugs that, that uh, have neurotherapeutic th- therapeutic windows. Too little doesn't work. Too much is very toxic. And so in a lot of the newer drugs and more powerful drugs have these neurotherapeutic windows. So if you had this feedback loop, you know, you could get the right amount of the drug in the blood much more easily.
3: It's very interesting. I'm wondering actually to hear hear from you how the money flows in that equation because while personalized medicine has been the future for a while and it's exciting to to be able to personalize the drugs, the, the money for it is hard, right, because you have uh, for example, you have Sovaldi, right, a hepatitis C drug and other very expensive niche uh, drugs. But then when you look at the market overall, where the money's at, you still get Abilify, I think, at the top of the uh, total dollars uh, prescribed. And, you know, Humira, other other drugs that have been around for, for a while. And um, they're I, I don't know, I'm wondering how you see funding and the... Money flowing towards such solutions that are so customized and, and, and niche, you know.
4: I mean, for precision dosing, precision medicine dosing, right, right. Is there a and, to right. There's a couple of them, um, and there's a really interesting one on the West Coast, uh, and I think they're going to get funded. And, and I think that pharma, the, the great thing about that space is that not only will providers buy it, but the but the pharma industry will buy it, which is good. Um, You know, Genentech has a drug uh, called Lucentis, which is basically Avastin for macular degeneration. And different patients um, need very different dosages. You can get much better outcomes and far fewer side effects. And increasingly, pharma is going to have to deal with that, and they're going to have to offer digital companion to their drugs so that the pharmacist or the physician can properly dose the drug. Um, And so I think that's happening.
3: Awesome. That's an exciting opportunity for (laughs) RxWiki, for a lot of companies that that. Bridge the gap between
0: pharma and pharmacy, Uh, so it's exciting. The other day, I was reading on some students out of MIT labs created this again 3D printer thing where if you had the right mixture of chemicals, right, it could produce whatever drugs uh, that you wanted in a 3D printing like capacity. Very interesting stuff. Yeah, that was that
3: was really cool discussion. Thank you both. Uh, You brought brought to light some things I personally have never thought of in terms of where pharmacy would go. Um, I'm interested to see if the audience has any questions. I know we have one for sure. There's a lot of questions in there. So the data's already there. Uh, It's a matter, actually we were talking to a pharmacist just yesterday that they have the data, they know they're seeing the patient, but they don't know which question to ask to which patient. They just don't have the time to just look through the data. And it's not very complicated. We're not talking, you know, uh, I don't know, very complicated machine learning, IBM Watson. They're just trying to see if they're on a diabetes drug that they're still taking it regularly. And because uh, of the chaos that is in a pharmacy, they just don't even have the time to know which question to ask. So I think um, as far as who's going to do it, your question, I hope we're going to do it (laughs) to make it uh, easier so they can analyze that data in real time, uh, accurately, and with the right insights. As far as who's going to pay for it, definitely not the patient, Uh, (laughs) anybody but the patient. Probably insurance uh, as soon as... There's proof that that uh, lowers their uh, costs. Or pharma, with some of the stuff that Todd Tal was talking about, I think there's a huge potential. Especially drugs, when you have a $20,000 drug, there's a huge incentive for pharma to make sure you take it, and you take it right, and you keep taking it.
4: Yeah, the genetic um, services we were talking about that recommend uh, you know which supplement that you take, given your genetic profile, those companies... Uh, are as much interested in the data as they are in selling the genetic tests, because the more phenotypical data that they collect, um, the better their algorithms are going to work uh, for predicting which uh, uh, genetic variations you know correlate with, uh, you know, with these phenotypical uh, traits. So, so you know, there's some companies out there that, you know they think that if they can get to a million patients with data. Uh, replete phenotypical data, then they would be game over. You know, they'll have the the data set, and um, others say that it's supposed to be twenty million. But um, you know, that's that's an interesting uh, element, and so the systems have to get much better uh, in asking the questions. You know, like you know, we go to the doctor and we roll our eyes because we have to fill out the same form every time. There are systems that are reading the clinical record as it stays, stands today and then they dispense with all those rote questions that don't need to be asked and so they're asking something very specific that might matter to you and that could help you, um, you know, in, in your health and then of course you need all the AI systems the you know, decision support uh, software that will help analyze it and make recommendations either directly to the consumer or through the pharmacist or, or physician.
3: Uh, I saw a couple hands here we're going to work our way in.
2: Hi, thank you guys for uh, sharing your knowledge with us. One thing I wanted to comment on the drone question. Actually, I think there is a place for drones in the sense that not just prescription drugs would be delivered, but over-the-counter drugs would be delivered. I can see that being something that people really want on demand, and that's a pressing need. So, like a Tylenol type of thing. Like that's a headache now, and that's something you don't really plan for. And I can think, I can totally see that Amazon happening with some over the, over-the-counter things. Um, I wonder if you can comment on whether you think pharma companies will really start to make more of an impact in pharmacies. So I don't know if there's regulation there, but I found it really interesting that like people like Genentech like aren't trying to also enter, enter the pharmacy space in some brick-and-mortar uh, formation or something like that.
3: You know some pharma companies. Uh, you,
4: you know why? Well, I think that they. It's it's very very tricky for them too. Walgreens. Uh, what they have been done. What they have done to get pharma involved is they have a, this balance rewards program. So they have a digital loyalty system that if uh, you know you shop there, of course you you get points. Um, but if you also interact with. Um, the software online or mobile, you, you're getting points. And then what they'll do frequently, what they're doing, and I know a company that's, that's, that's helping um, pharma and pharmacies do this, is that they they give um, you know they, they make an offer basically, hey, listen, if you want to come into this game, um, then you can earn balance reward points. So pharma is going to buy balance reward points from Walgreens. Then the patient goes in there. They explore around. They get educated on a brand. Um, But you do have to be – you can't switch a patient, though, from like a generic to a brand. So it is tricky. Uh, So there's some rules around that. But that's one way that they can participate. And, of course, they have these copay and discount kind of offerings. Uh, I don't know if you guys use like GoodRx or OneRx uh, um, or Blink. You know, These are services which will give you radically lower prices on drugs. Uh, You may not get to use your insurance. You may just have to be – Cash out of pocket, but if you have a health savings account, you know, you might as well just pay the cash. Uh, so uh, I think the pharma, there are opportunities, absolutely. Pharma will also sponsor education. They can sponsor education newsletters. They can sponsor all kinds of content. Um, I think that's legit, um, but it is it's regulated. You have to be careful. Um, but there's a, there's an opportunity for sure. It is very tricky
3: as there, there can be a conflict of interest as uh, pharmacists want to get – well, pharmacists want to get paid in order to do stuff. They're, they're busy people. Pharma wants to sell the most expensive drugs, uh, and the patient wants the cheapest possible drugs. <laughs> and uh, uh, we've seen, you know, this can create a – conflict. just the other day, there was a friend actually that called me that was on a on Zeria that, that didn't um, – it's $300 a month, and – it doesn't actually do more than you know one percent change in this cholesterol, and so he's prescribed this drug. And there's huge incentive to be prescribed a, a more expensive drug on the pharma and, and the physician side. Yet, um, you know, the the pharmacist is often found on the cost-cutting side. Like, let's switch you to a generic. Let's find a cheaper option, which is at odds with many pharma companies. So, uh, it's, it's definitely possible, but it is it makes it difficult, you know. Couple questions,
0: go here, here, and then you.
4: That's that's a good question, and it's it's not it's not an easy one to uh, to solve. We have a company in a company that uh, we have investment in a company that facilitates the flow of information back and forth between um, pharmacists and uh, providers. Um, And so, you know, the Rite Aids, the Walgreens, those guys, those their um, investments in their in-store clinics. You know, what they've done is they have purchased an EMR. You know, they've invested in clinicians who can provide care to the patient, invested in real estate. Uh, They do need to coordinate care with providers, and so they will do outreach and facilitate the flow of information back and forth. And so that is happening. Uh, And in terms of long-term care, pharmacies that are serving long-term care. By the way, there was a very important uh, IPO in this space recently called Tabula Rasa, you know this company, Fabio? Uh, it started out as a, as a, uh, uh, I believe a pharmacy uh, in the PACE program. I don't know if you know the PACE program. But it's a long-term care program, and so they have a pharmacy, but they also have medication risk management software. They made a number of acquisitions. I know one of the investors, uh, Glenn Bresner, and it was a tremendous, tremendous win. And it's worth a couple hundred million dollars. It's public, uh, and you know that's. The most recent digital health uh, win—it's um, been in the pharmacy space. But um, you know, working with long-term care, working with uh, community providers, risk-bearing providers is is real. It's happening. Um, the plumbing is getting laid. It's not easy. Anything with providers is hard. But um, it, it's kind of happening.
3: It's interesting, we talk about data, right, but once somebody gets some data, like the company it might get, you know, a million patients' genetic data, the chances of that data being, you know, shared with anybody else, you know, is zero, right? So it's interesting, you get this competitive advantage, then you don't want to share with anybody, and so you get all these systems, you know, Epic and well, the pharmacy systems hold on to their data, the doctor systems hold on to their data, and then the, even the companies like, you know, ourselves helping uh, the industry once they reach some level of data and knowledge, they keep it as their competitive advantage. So it's really tricky to align the incentives for those people to to want to share, for a doctor and a pharmacist and an insurance company, and, you know, switch company, all to want to share their data and they all win. Uh, uh, because often one of the players ends up losing, so then <laughs> they're not going to share any of the data. Uh, so it does make it tricky. Um well, uh, fortunately, there's, there's been more pressure, right? There's been, when Todd Park, was CTO, or, or the yeah, CTO, Todd Park, um, uh, there was a lot of, you know, the Health Data Palooza conference, if, you, if any of you have yeah, heard of that. Remember that yeah. There's been a lot of, in the past four years, has been a lot of progress uh, towards sharing uh, data. Matter of fact, our company's first product was based on some data sharing that the Center for Medicare Services did it didn't share before. So um, there, there's hope there. <laughs> there. With more data being shared, there's more opportunity. But Hi,
1: thank you. Um, I'm having some confusion um, with how we're defining the role of the pharmacist um, based upon the, the, the idea that the pharmacist could prescribe a diagnostic test in the form of a genetic test, which then they would be then interpreting that test and providing um, information to the patient. I don't necessarily... I, is, is that the role of the pharmacist? And this leads on to a whole host of issues down the line. I guess that's the first place I would like to start.
3: I, I think so, yes. It is the role of the pharmacist.
1: So right now, to become a genetic counselor, this is a nursing degree, an MD degree, um, continued uh, uh, post-degree education in a residency focused on genetic uh, uh, interpretation and delivering that knowledge to the patient. So do you still feel that... Pharmacist is in a role where probably their primary responsibility is the management of a care plan that's been prescribed by a physician, not necessarily prescribing or or diagnosing a patient, then dictating a care plan that that would then proceed. So I would would be careful with how we are defining the role of the pharmacist in relation to um, diagnosing disease and then
4: adopting treatments for those diseases. I think it's fair. I have not looked into the what the pharmacists can do. I, I do know that if you Google personal genetic tests, you will get to a, Wiki page, a Wikipedia page very quickly that lists a bunch of startups that are selling direct to consumer. Uh, you know where you swab and get uh, your basically your, your your a panel of of a genetic SNPs as they're called um, and how they correlate with uh, Either affliction or lack of affliction, and that you know, consumers can buy that today. We could all do that today. And and there's you know, Pathway Genomics has uh, perhaps you know best known one, but there's a bunch of um, a bunch of offerings like that. There is nothing I see that would be wrong with um, a pharmacist making you know looking at the different choices there and then making a recommendation as to which vendor they think is a good vendor. Um, whether or not they should be in the role of actually interpreting the, the, um, the report is a good question. I, I don't know, that may be beyond what a pharmacist can do, but like I say, if the test um, is, is then producing data that goes into an app, and this is happening, there's a Warburg company called Helix, they put $100 million into a startup Um, And they are basically trying to become the app store of genetics. And so if you get your test from Helix, your data is then stored on Helix. And so the idea is that um, app developers, uh, and there are many, they're going to probably launch with 30. They will constantly be adding new apps that are making you aware of uh, interesting things you can learn. I mean, it might be as simple as, again, the vitamin D. It might be something more... Uh, you know, like what kind of diet is best for you, what kind of exercise regimen is for you, but all this wellness stuff, I mean, it's, you can do that, uh, and that's, that's, that's here, that's happening. I mean, I mean there, there are makeup and skincare companies that are considering offering this so that when you are searching a list of products, you know, you see the products that are optimized for your uh, genetic makeup for your skin. Um, I mean, this is, this is going very mainstream um, as a decision aid uh, as a consumer. So I do think that it's happening. I don't know if the pharmacist wants to get too deep in the weeds on uh, the medicine, but on wellness, I think it's pretty, pretty legit. Um, you know, we're making a lot of decisions suboptimally. You know, we may be like killing ourselves to run long distance when genetically we would be much better off doing sprints and doing weightlifting. You know, I don't know what it would be, but you know, or you know, we, you know, we're we're saying we're going to a protein-based diet, and you know, our makeup is you know would much be better served by some other diet, you know, it'd be nice to know that. And if the pharmacist was thoughtful enough to go through through the tests and the apps and make it, you know, say, hey, this vendor seems to know what they're talking about, and we've looked at the science, and it looks pretty good. I would appreciate that from the pharmacist. You know? Because else you're going to figure it out. You're going to Google, and you're just not going to know, I mean, do I do this one, do I that one? But if your pharmacist sort of looked into it for you, um, that would be pretty cool. I mean, there 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 are vitamin companies that they will. I mean, it's a dumb business, but I think they're actually doing fairly well. They will take vitamins out of the different bottles and put them in packages that are just for you. Now, if that service was combined with a genetic, you know, underpinning, you know, they could really deliver you supplements that really fit you. That would be good. And you know, and the pharmacist is not making much money off of the products at the front of their house. They, they need to sell. To be more effective retailers of products, you know, and so this would be one way. So I think there's some merit to it. Last question. I'm going to switch real quickly uh, to the
2: provider side. You mentioned it a little bit. You're seeing today millennials have these high deductible plans at employers, and they're not hitting the, their deductible. And um, when they do seek care, they have, they understand their data. Uh, they're well informed. Uh, do you see a place in like this healthcare marketplace for Consumers to step in, uh, specifically, you know, millennials to step in and be able to shop for their care, almost in the sense of uh, a provider A versus provider B is offering twenty-five dollars difference in the service. Do you see that there's an opportunity there for a service to facilitate that? Because at the end of the day, you're seeing a healthy, generally a healthy population that never like hits their deductible, so they're almost paying out of pocket for their care. Um, So they're interested in saving a couple bucks. Do you think that there's a, a a validity for service, something like that, to facilitate uh, a, a consumer to to be able to act on on that to, to, to save some money.
4: Yes, I do. I have an investment. I'm such a company. Uh, it's a company called Vitals, um, and they also actually have a they have a service called Smart Shopper. This is pretty interesting. When they sell service to a health planner, or self-insured employer, and if they look, they can they can look through the their claims and they can see if you've been getting service. Let's say you're getting an MRI, or let's say you're getting in uh, Remicade infused. If you're shopping, if you're going to a provider that's overpriced and has poor quality, they will call you up and say, "Listen, if you go to this provider, we will write you a check." Not just you know, not is it only better for you with less money out of pocket out of your HSA account, but unless you write you a you know cash on um, the barrel check, and it's something the the absurd example is Remicade. If you get Remicade at a uh, hospital or at certain hospitals, it can cost as much as ninety thousand dollars a year. At, if you go an hour away to some infusion therapy center, uh, I don't know the exact details. It can cost as little well as fifteen to twenty. I mean, which is you know crazy, and so the self the self-insured employer should, in fact, or the health plan should write a $500 check at least every time you go to the cheaper place. Um, this made it on NPR; this, it became pretty notable. But there are a bunch of companies uh, that are that are doing that, that are that are trying to facilitate. John Gordon, who runs the venture fund at Mount Sinai, he's super cynical on this. He says, those consumers just are just not." going to ever figure this out Uh, they're just not good at making these decisions it's too complicated forget it where he sees no opportunity I see a ton of opportunity I see you know there could be a nice app let's say you're faced with some medical decision and okay yes you can't figure it out from the data on the page but let's say you hit a button and there's some advisor that just pops up and quickly you know because they're more familiar with the questions at hand you know they just facilitate a much smarter decision so I think it'd be a great thing and we may be getting a healthcare reform package. I don't know if we are or not, but that is radically more consumer-directed. Um, and uh, if we did, that would be the upside case—that that you know, vendors and consumers would come together, and you know, it'd be a better system. Whether or not that'll happen, I don't know. But I got this better app that
3: uh, was a social capital, and they had a counselor just like that. So if you had any question about. You know anything or how you can save money you you'd have a counselor in seconds help you save money or whatever the decision was. So that's exciting. But uh, on the employer side, I want to piggyback on that. Uh, there certainly seems to be more motivation because as their premiums have risen, both small employers and large employers, they're more willing to find cost-saving measures, even bypass, as far as the pharmacy world is concerned, Uh, An employer usually would go and work with a PBM for administering the benefits of the plan. And more recently, they're more open to working directly with pharmacies, not just chain pharmacies but independent pharmacies to really reduce uh, costs because the PBM wasn't reducing the cost uh, to the level they they wanted and offering the services they wanted. So I think it is bringing up uh, the pharmacy world, actually – to have a more prominent role in saving those costs and cut out the middleman. Last question. The med degree often doesn't include the, the knowledge uh, of the medications that come out. Too. So I would say, again, I'm biased towards pharmacy. That a doctor prescribing a medication is a much more biased choice towards a pharmaceutical rep. That recently, you know, got him a uh, came came as you know bottle of wine somewhere um, versus a pharmacist who um, has a much deeper drug expertise uh, and less incentive.
4: 19 states and in can- Canada. Okay. Uh, pharmacists can prescribe. have that they had? I pharmacist name. I think they would have more respect. Yeah? Yeah, I do. prescribed
3: based diagnosis It's true. They're pretty far from prescribing... And they're not prescribing pain meds. They're not prescribing, you're right, so uh, they're pretty far from being able to prescribe. But that's,
4: uh,
3: I think, the future.
4: Um, I mean, but wouldn't it be great, though, you know, if you were wandering around the aisle and you, you, you get you know, two different uh, over-the-counter acne medications and, you know, uh, you go to the pharmacist and you say, which one's better? And they say, you know something, there's a pres- prescription acne medication that will... At looking at your complexion will knock this out and like don't waste your money on that stuff. Um, wouldn't that be great? Oh, walking trying to get You to You to go to doctor But your point about pharma you know, influencing the pharmacist's decision. Yeah, that would not be good. And I don't think that's, I don't think that really happens. Um, I think, I, I don't, I think that it's more likely that the, uh, the payer is going to pay the pharmacist to come up with a more cost-effective, uh, higher quality recommendation. That pharma, but it would be good if pharma is offering cash, you know, discounts. if you're going to get that drug that pharma sells and there's some coupon out there I would appreciate if the pharmacist was smart enough to analyze, scan the the database of coupons and incentives, and make sure I got it. You know, so I didn't overpay. That would be super good, right?
0: That's all we have. So thanks again, Flavio and Todd, for joining us this month. And Will, thank you, thank you everyone for joining. This is a great talk. Thank Thank you, Sarah. We'd like to thank you again for listening to our podcast, made possible by The Farm in Soho, which is the home of digital healthcare in New York City, and by PIPA, the hosting service for our podcast. Tune in next month, where we'll dive into a new topic, questioning and solutioning around the future of health.